You're listening to the Grace Sermon Podcast with messages from Pastor Chris Twightman and the community at Grace Lutheran Church, Huntington Beach. We're a family church that exists to engage life together and impact our neighborhoods as disciples of Jesus. If you'd like more information about our church, please visit us online at gracehb.org. Now, stay tuned for today's message. I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles um, to Isaiah 58, Isaiah chapter 58. We'll be getting there in a little bit. It's going to be a while. But as you're getting to Isaiah 58, if you haven't been with us, we have been in the midst of a sermon series reflecting upon the discipline, the practice of rest, of abiding, delighting in and operating out of this relationship with God and Christ that we have through the Holy Spirit. And this, this discipline, this practice of resting, abiding in this way is what is more formally known in the Bible as the Sabbath. Now, where we've been so far, we started this journey by recognizing that Jesus specifically calls us into this practice of rest. Even as he calls us out of our tendency to work ourselves to death, Jesus calls us into this practice of rest. Instead of trying to define ourselves and our lives based upon what we do, what we accomplish, to have our lives defined, to find our purpose in him. And then after we listen to this invitation from Jesus, next, the next week we, we looked at this reality that what Jesus invites us to experience in him is in fact a rhythm of rest weaven, weaved by our creator, from the very beginning into the fabric of all life. Rest, it's part of the program. This divine cycle of living is reflected all around us in the flow and seasons of nature. The Sabbath, properly understood, is the gift of time and space for us to rejoice in, to be renewed by the goodness of God and the goodness of life as our creator intended it to be. But as we looked at last week, Due to the brokenness of this world and of our lives because of sin, due to our rejection and rebellion against God, we have lost this rhythm of Sabbath. In fact, we easily forget the Sabbath, this rhythm of Sabbath, as other unnatural and destructive rhythms are beaten into us. As we looked at the liberation of the Israelites from Egypt, we recognized that we are much in bondage still too, instead of resting in order to work. And that's how we were designed, to rest in order to work. Instead of resting in order to work, we cut against the grain of how God designed our lives to be by working in order to rest. And when we do that, when we work in order to rest, rest becomes something we must earn, something we must deserve after we've done enough. But the thing is, it's never enough. We're never finished. And so we just keep working longer and harder, even as we sleep less and take our work with us, even when we do get away for a moment. And it's into this vicious cycle of our self-imposed enslavement that the Lord declares the Sabbath not just to be a rhythm, but to be a law. In fact, it's one of his top 10 rules for life. Entering into the time and space God created for us isn't a reward. It isn't something we have to earn or deserve. 
It is something that is a gift, but it's a gift that's a requirement. It's a necessity. It's essential so that we can flourish, so that we can become all we were created to be, so that we don't burn out and fade away. Now, when we looked at this last Sunday, I did something very intentional. Last Sunday, when we looked at the passage from Exodus and from Deuteronomy, where God outlines this rhythm of Sabbath as a rule, an instruction for life, I ignored a significant part of how God defined this rule, this rule of the Sabbath. And I did it in order to see if anyone would catch it and ask me about it. And I'm here to tell you that save for a handful of young adults, God bless you young adults, you know where you are, most of us didn't even notice what I left out. And what exactly am I talking about? Well, in order for you to see it, let's relook at our passage from last week, Deuteronomy chapter 5. And I want to just set the stage again. Remember in Deuteronomy, Moses is repeating the instructions that he gave, all the instructions back in Exodus and Leviticus. He's repeating now here instructions about the Sabbath, but he's doing it to the next generation of Israelites as they are on the verge of entering the promised land, their new home of Canaan. And just to help you, I've highlighted the specific part of the passage that should cause you to do a double take. Again, observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, the Lord says, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, but then get this, neither you nor your son or daughter, daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. I don't know if you're seeing it. I've highlighted it for you. But we see, when we, if we talk about Sabbath at all, when we, do, when we talk about it, if we talk about it at all, we talk about it in terms of it being an individual matter. We talk about it in terms of our own personal discipline, our own personal benefits of taking a break and having a little downtime. But what we see here, and this is one of many passages that tell us there's a broader set of implications for Sabbath keeping. Yes, as human beings, God's designed each one of us with the need to have margin and boundaries in order to flourish. Yes, God gives each one of us the time and space to rest. And this rhythm and rule is essential to our proper self-care. But here, the way the Lord expresses it, remembering and observing the Sabbath expands the space and the time for rest that God gives beyond just me into ever more encompassing concentric circles from our family members to our neighbors, from embracing the employees under our care in this rest and even including the natural world, the animals in our care. Remembering and observing the Sabbath is more than an individual or personal matter. My refusal to rest, as God prescribes, doesn't just have implications for my health and well-being. It also affects yours. In other words, how we, do, we honor or do not honor the gift of Sabbath is a justice issue, as you'll see on the next slide. We are to rest as God intended so others can rest as God intended. Hear that again. We are to rest as God intended so others can rest as God intended. And when we do not rest, when you do not rest, when I do not rest, we deny others the rest God seeks to provide for them. 
Why? What does that have to do with anything? If I choose not to rest, if you choose not to rest, what does that have to do with anyone else? Because when I choose not to rest as God intends, when you choose not to rest as God intends, we are denying others the rest that God seeks to provide for them because they have to keep working in order to enable us to keep working. Best example I can give you is, hey, it's two o'clock in the morning and I want to buy something. Somebody better be up to sell me something. So if I choose to shop at two o'clock in the morning, I can't do that by myself. Someone else has to be up at two o'clock in the morning in order for me to make my purchase. And you can expand that example out. You know, this, is, this idea of that Sabbath is a justice issue, maybe to bring this home even more for you, because again, it, Sabbath in and of itself just individually rocks our world. But when we think about it communally, it's, it's got even more of a seismic effect. But to really help to impact why this is a justice issue is what we don't realize is how radical God's mandate for keeping the Sabbath was in the ancient world. How radical it was in the ancient world. The idea of a regular day of rest was without precedent or parallel in the ancient world. I mean, for most of ancient history, the empires of old that we know about were built on the backs of another civilization. Those in power, those who ruled, worked as little as possible as those who were ruled over remained powerless. And they worked consistently every day, all year round, with the exception of perhaps a few religious festivals, but even then they were working to serve the elite on those festivals. But notice what God does here in the midst of that cultural context in the ancient world. That's the way the world works. Not so, says God. Notice what God says to the Israelites here as he gives them the rule of the Sabbath. The Israelites are not to rest at the expense of those who serve them while they rest. Hey, I created a day for you to rest. Rest and have your servants and your animals do all the work for you. Have the foreigners who need work do all the work for you so you can rest. Nope, God doesn't say that. God says those who are large and in charge, as well as the blue-collar workers and the servants, as well as the immigrants and the refugees, as well as the beasts of burden, are all to rest together. This is radical. This is so countercultural then, and I would argue it is so countercultural now. But the thing is, not just here, throughout the Bible, most notably in the prophets, what you hear, what we see, is when work is promoted, when work is even mandated without any meaningful consideration or allowance of Sabbath rest for all persons, it is always framed as being unjust. Unjust. Consider but one example from Isaiah chapter 58, which you have open. And let me set the stage for this passage for you. We're going to look at it really briefly. At this point in the story in Isaiah, the people of Israel have been through a lot. This is decades after the rupture of a civil war. This is decades after living in forced exile in a foreign land. The people have finally been able to come home to rebuild their homeland. But everything is not coming back together as they anticipated. As they're coming home, things are just not, you know, working, coming together the way they expected. And so I'm going to look at a couple of sections of Isaiah 58 on the screen. 
And this is what God says to a people who are actually so disappointed that things aren't kind of coming together as they're coming home that they're actually starting to get a little annoyed with God. So Isaiah writes, For day after day they, the people, seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and have not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Isaiah goes on. Next slide. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? And God responds. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Is this, God says, not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter and when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Now, I'm going to jump ahead in just a second, but at first you're like, well, this is just about the people not fasting correctly. They're fasting, but they're being unjust. But then when you jump to the end, clearly this fasting is also related to how the people are practicing the Sabbath, how they're resting. And God equates the two, that it's not just a matter of a discipline of fasting, it's the practice of resting. They're resting at the expense of other people. They're resting and not allowing others to rest. And that's why God says at the end of Isaiah here, If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, and this is the key part, and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. God is saying, you know, to a people who are saying, hey, God, what's up? <laughs> Here we are. We're doing all the things you called us to do. Lord, we're, we're fasting, we're worshiping, we're resting. What's up? Why are you not showing your presence among us? Why are things not happening for us? God says, because you're doing everything for yourself and not being just. You're not inviting people into my kingdom. You're not including them in the rest that I've carved out for them. In a what's so key here is that Israel has lived as a Sabbathless society. And when you live as a Sabbathless society, then you are going to deny particularly the economically marginalized. And what you see again and again in the biblical story is to deny those who are in need the opportunity to rest, to rest at the expense of other people is an injustice that our creator refuses to turn a blind eye towards. And this is because what God establishes with the institution of the Sabbath is actually an expression of equality that we talk a lot about, that we say we're committed to. We all say we like equality. We all want to be about equality. Equality, who doesn't want equality? We all want equality. We talk a lot about it. We say we're committed to it, but ultimately we fail to practice equality. 
And the thing that we miss is God in creating the Sabbath actually carves out both a time and a space of rest that's to an equal degree for all persons that all are to have access to. Think about that. The Sabbath is the equalizer. The Sabbath creates equality in an otherwise world filled with inequality because citizens and foreigners, masters and servants, people and animals are all to give this, be given the same access or all to have the same opportunity to rest. The Sabbath is a justice issue because it's about equality. The Sabbath is the end of relationships based on hierarchy. Relationships ranked by power and control, regulated by coercion, competition, and acquisition. Remembering and observing the Sabbath is about equality, but it's also about anticipating the life to come in the kingdom of God. What is life going to be like in the kingdom of God? Is life in the kingdom of God, the life that we're preparing for now, is life in the kingdom of God going to be like life as it is in our day-to-day world? Is it going to be about competition? Is it going to be about coercion? Is it going to be about acquisition? I don't think so. I think if you read your Bibles carefully, Paul most poignantly describes it in the kingdom of God, the world to come, the life that you're preparing for, the life that you say you want, the life that Jesus died and rose again to give us all, that life is going to be about not masters and servants, not male or female, not slave or free, not Jew or Gentile, but all will be equal before God because all are the children of God. If that's the future... Why isn't that our present? Why are we not trying to live that out in our present? And for us who go, well, gosh, what does that even look like? God has said, rather than you trying to figure out how to do it, I've created a time and a space for you to live into it one day out of seven where everybody gets to rest, where everybody is equal. Do you see this? Do you see how radical the Sabbath is? The Sabbath is the reimagining of all social life now, based no longer on the haves and the have-nots, but instead grounded in the compassionate solidarity of sharing this life, this world together. The Sabbath is a social vision marked by peace and mercy that redirects our myopic focus on our own self-interest towards the common good being sensitive to and upholding the dignity and care of the disadvantaged and the subjugated, the displaced and the destitute. In fact, and this is where it gets even crazier, this rhythm, this rule of, God, of life that God reveals to Israel of six days of work that pause on the seventh day with an intentional practice of rest and renewal, that's just, that's just the beginning. That's just the founda- foundation, the instrument of a larger plan by God to sabotage, to transform human culture and society into a full, abundant, and just life for all people. What am I talking about? If you know your Bible and if you don't get ready for it, the Sabbath is only the beginning. The Sabbath lays the foundation for what God will later lay out in Leviticus, Chapter 25, for example, the Sabbath year. God tells the people as he's forming them into a nation, the nation that is supposed to educate all the nations of the world, to be a light to them, that along with resting once every seven days, every seven years, the land is to remain fallow. The land must rest. I want you to think about that for a second. Every seven years, the land must rest. In a predominantly agricultural society, what that in essence means is every seven years, the people were to take a year off from their regular work, the daily grind. 
and instead for a year to devote themselves to more spiritual pursuits. Now, just to bring this home, what that meant is for a year, if they weren't working on the land, it significantly lowered their material standard of living for the year. In fact, during this Sabbath year, all the produce that the land grew by itself, not from them working on it, was to be free to all. Even the animals were to have equal access. Don't go out there and start grabbing just for yourself, to hoard up for yourself. Equal access for everybody. Also, during this year, all outstanding loans. Every seven years, all outstanding loans were forgiven. And this law, just in case you're wondering, this Sabbath year law, wasn't given so borrowers could default on their loans. This was the kindness of God allowing people sunk in debt an opportunity to start over. If your husband had died, or some other calamity had come in the last seven years, rather than being caught in an inescapable deficit for the rest of your life, you were released from that financial burden every seven years. Wow. There was the Sabbath year, but wait for it. There was also the year of Jubilee, also in Leviticus 25. Once in a half century, every seventh set of seven years, all leased lands were to be returned to their original owners and all slaves and bonded laborers were to be set free. Now, here's the thing you need to remember. Homes, unlike how we do it today, were given by God to his people. When they get to the promised land, God gives to each of the tribes their land, their home. But things happen, right? If a person or family member became so poor that they had to sell their home or their land. The Jubilee ensured all was returned to the family once in every lifetime, once every 50 years. And again, why did God do this? The provisions of the Jubilee were designed to disrupt generational cycles of poverty. The provisions of the Jubilee were designed to reduce homelessness and exclusion. The provisions of the Jubilee were designed so that massive inequalities, like Israelites becoming permanent slaves to other Israelites, would not become societally entrenched. Do you see it now? Even beyond one day in seven? The Sabbath, the Sabbath year, the Jubilee year, like the Sabbath day, sought to re-equalize the economic layers upon which human society is built. Now, some of us are finding this fascinating. Some of us knew this already, but I want you just for a second to imagine. Ask yourself how you would react if one of our many political candidates in a press conference or debate mentioned something as radical as this for public policy. Hmm. Now, I'm not going to ask you how you vote. I'm not going to ask you what party you support. But what I am going to ask you, and you're not going to like it, is given that this is the word of the Lord, given that this is God's economic policy, if God were running for office, would he get your vote? You don't like that question, do you? And some of you right now are coming up with all the reasons why this doesn't apply anymore, this isn't realistic, and all the reasons why you can shoot this down. Shoot it down all you want. I'm still going to ask you, if this is God's economic policy, would he have your vote? <laughs> I ask you this, if God would have your vote, because the thing that you need to understand, we all need to understand, is all of these prescriptions, rest once every seven days, 
one year every seven years or resetting everything every 50 years. All of this God lays out and they're, ex- they're to be exercised by us as an expression of our trust in God's provision. Our trust in God's provision. And the thing is, injustice in this world is fundamentally r- rooted in our rejection of the Sabbath foundational principle. And what is that? Injustice in this world is rooted in our rejection of the Sabbath foundational principle, which is that God is the ultimate provider of every need. That everything belongs to God, and therefore we are to be stewards of God's good gifts, including rest, for the sake of all people, not just ourselves. And our refusal to rest including to let others rest, stems from our allegiance and our dependence, our worship, our idolatry to things other than God. If you're not voting for God's economic policy, if you're not voting for God's principle of life, that he is the owner, you are the steward, that he provides everything and you are to be a good steward of his gifts to all people, then what you are voting for, what you are worshiping, what you do live for is money, is land, is technology, Your body, what you are living for is all forms of power. And more than that, you're not just living for them, you're hoarding them for yourself rather than sharing them as stewards of God's good gifts. I would welcome this conversation after service and I don't know if any of you are gonna have it with me, but I I would love to tell you that this is just Pastor Chris up here. I have searched and studied over and over again, and it is shocking to me the discrepancy between our sense of economic policy and God's, between our sense of how the world works, how work and rest work, and how work and rest are supposed to work according to God. Guys, when we can't stop working, not only are we enslaving ourselves, we are forcing others into bondage. We are forcing others into the bondage of the tyranny of our urgency, the dictatorship of our demand for constant productivity and results. My friends, a world without the rhythm and rule of the Sabbath is a world where chained children assemble parts from cell phones so that we can have the latest and greatest technology. A world without the rhythm and rule of Sabbath is where widows, desperate to avoid poverty, tirelessly stitch together the seams of our clothing so we can keep up with the latest fashions. A world without the rhythm and rule of Sabbath is where fathers seeking to put food on their family table spend most of their days traveling long distances hunched over to carry coffee beans so we can get our pick-me-up, our caffeine buzz, in order to face the day. I'm pressing buttons here. I know it. But the reality is we live in a world where not only are we not resting, but if we are resting, we are resting at the expense of others. My friends, what we need to understand this morning is the Sabbath is more than a divine commandment. It's a divine commitment to see ourselves in each other. How does Jesus summarize the law? Jesus says all of it, including the Sabbath. You can summarize this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
Do you understand? The Sabbath is a divine commitment to see ourselves in each other. It's to to live into what Jesus calls us to, to actually and practically love our neighbors as ourselves. Because if we don't rest, if we don't love ourselves the way God calls us to, then we're not going to love our neighbors. If we don't rest, then we're not going to let anyone else rest. It's to recognize that when my brother and sister cannot rest, I cannot rest. It's to recognize when my brother or sister remains enslaved, I remain in bondage too, to my sin. The Sabbath is not for those who can afford it. The Sabbath is especially for those who believe, who have been conditioned or forced to live without rest or relief. That is specifically who the Sabbath is for. Sabbath rest is justice, and that's the heartbeat of God. So to close, I'm going to come back to what I ask, have been asking each week. How do we put this into practice? How can we encourage? This is a totally different question. Up to now, I've been talking about little things we can do to enter into this Sabbath space and time that God gives us. What I'm asking now, and it's a much harder question, right, is how can we encourage and promote a regular rhythm of rest and renewal for others? And in saying that, one thing I need you to get out of your head is the Sabbath is not so much about the day. And by that, I mean it's all about Sunday, it's about the math, one in seven. It's about, it's about pockets of rest in between that one in seven as well, spaces that God carves out for us to rest. How can we encourage and promote that? One thing I'm going to point to and why I wanted to preach this today with Jake here is that is what the ministry of Common Ground is doing. Common Ground is entering into a community that is packed with people, where people are packed into homes. You heard it in the video. You heard him describe it, where people don't even have space to rest because they're living on top of each other where parents are working jobs where they can't provide a meal for their kids because they're working so hard to, pro- to, to, to provide for them. And so how do we encourage and promote rest? Two guys came and said, hey, can we come in and come alongside your family? Can we come alongside your kids? Can we give them a space and a time where they can rest, where they can delight, where they can rejoice, where they can learn and be, that they're loved? That's a great example. Two guys created a a, a nonprofit ministry that we as a community of more than two people now get to be in partnership with. That's one example. But here's another one. And this is very, very elemental to me. If you're someone like me who can or gets to take a day off, then what I would simply ask you to do to encourage rest for other people is if you get to take a day off, could you just be conscious of the fact that you have that privilege that the poor and younger people who are just entering the workforce and juggling other commitments that are serving you usually have little choice when and if they get a day off. So what I mean is, as you frequent coffee shops, restaurants, theaters, malls, gas stations, could we actually commit to create a climate of patience and civility? I can, and I've caught this in myself, where we are just so go, go, go. It's like, oh my God, you are just so incompetent. You are just so stupid. Don't you know how to do your job? You are wasting my time. And I am going to not reward you because you are just inefficient to my level of productivity. Could we instead recognize that many of the people that we're encountering when we have space to rest, don't. And can we create this climate of patience and civility by respecting and affirming the dignity who work for our convenience so that our presence and interactions with them maybe becomes restful in that moment for them, delightful space, even as they work? So what would that mean? Cut them some slack. 
Get a hold of yourself. Calm down. Your coffee took 15 minutes instead of five. You'll live. You had to wait a little longer in the grocery line. I'm so sorry. I'm serious. Do you ever stop and think in the grand scheme of eternity, how many times God's going to flash up on the screen? This was you. This was you out in public. The people who are serving us, can we have patience? Can we, have you been there? Have you ever been there? I mean, I have. I've waited. I've talked to you about this before. I know how it's, things happen. It's a, it's a lot of moving parts. Can we cut people some slack? How about this? Could you use a person's name? They wear name tags. And the only time we look at the name tag is when we want to complain. What's your name? Because I want to talk to your manager about you. Do you actually use their name just when they first come up? How about comment cards? I watch, I, I, I confess, so if you've ever seen me, I'm watching you. People fill out comment cards. I often find, you can tell by their posture when they're pissed, when they're angry. But when people have had a good service, good experience, they got to move on. Things are going, they're, they're late, man. They got to go. No time to fill out a comment card. But if they didn't get service to their satisfaction, oh, heck, I'll change my calendar. I am going to write down and rip this person a new one right now. How about a higher tip? How about tipping higher? And if you're a boss, many of us have jobs where we're the boss. Maybe in places where you have people working for you, serving your company, could you get creative? Could you think outside the box? How could you advocate and provide a better and regular rhythm of rest as well as spaces of renewal for your staff? How could you do that? I mean, and I don't even have answers to this, but could you think about ways to go, hey, I want to make sure that the people who work for me know that their rest is important to me. I want to provide creative in the scheduling and how you operate it, whatever that just ultimately says, I don't want you to just be seen as someone who just works, but I want to recognize that your rest enables you to work. I don't know what that looks like, but great ideas are out there. There are companies that are about this. And those companies are the companies that people want to work for, right? The second thing is going to come right out of what I talked about before, ways we can encourage rest for other people, ways we can promote a regular rhythm of renewal, is you got to start paying more attention where your stuff comes from. And I know some of you don't like to hear this, and some of you will go on the internet and tell me how what I'm telling you is wrong, clothes aren't made that way, coffee beans are totally fine. There's enough evidence for me to tell you I strongly disagree with you. Pay more attention to where your stuff comes from. Pay more attention to the working conditions, how employees are treated, including getting time off. And here's the thing. Don't just decide how much you're willing to pay for something based upon how cheap it is for you to get. Make a decision to pay maybe a little bit more because, in fact, the people who are creating or providing what you're buying are going to be treated better, are going to be treated more justly. Be vocal in your support of businesses that take care of their workers. Tell them, this is why you have my business, because you take care of your employees, because you make sure that they get to rest and delight in. And tell them if they don't. Your voice has power, because at the end of the day, businesses run on your willingness to purchase. So if you're vocal that you're not going to buy, companies will change. And third, and related to this, to help encourage and promote a rhythm of rest and renewal for all people, we need to recognize that the promise of rest and peace begins to be fulfilled when we carefully attend and listen rather than dismiss all the stories that surround us. When we listen particularly to those who are hurting and who are in need. 
Now, I know what you're going to say. Sometimes we close our ears. Sometimes we turn a blind eye because we know that if we were to, to, figure, to hear all the spiritual ills, social ills in our families and our neighborhoods, we cannot fix them. We cannot possibly address them. And that's true. We cannot fix or address them by our humble efforts alone. But sometimes there is a space and a time of rest created when someone is just simply willing to be present and to listen, to let another person be heard, to say, that's not right, and I am with you in this. Because the reality is we can't fix everything. We cannot. But Jesus has called us to serve this hurt harried, and overextended world. Jesus has called us to advocate for the Sabbath rest of our neighbor through our voice, through our vote, through our commitment to building communities where there is a home to live in and food to eat each day for all people. Can you be committed to that? Can you be committed to making sure that everyone has a roof over their heads? Can you be committed, even if you can't make it happen, can you be committed to, to saying, I am about everyone having a meal on their table that they can eat. Jesus, at a bare minimum, doesn't tell us to fix everything, but to be committed to that kind of vision for our lives together. Beloved, when we rest as God intended, as we abide regularly in Christ as our center and work out of the power of his grace in us, we love our neighbors as ourselves. We love our neighbors as ourselves by advocating for and defending and even fighting for their right to rest too. Because the time and space of the Sabbath is a weekly appointment between God and humanity for all humanity to delight and enjoy. And we remember and we observe and we honor this appointment, this dedicated rest that God gives us when we enter into it not alone, but by sharing it with others, family, friends and neighbors, and particularly those around us who are in need those who exist and live in contexts where Sabbath is denied to them because of the demands of this world. So let us remember and observe and practice the Sabbath, not just for ourselves, but for those who we call brothers and sisters in Christ. Amen.